This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join in in welcoming you here this morning. I'm glad that you could be with us. I know we've got several that are out for various reasons, and we'll continue to pray for them and hope that they can get back with us as soon as they can. And I'm glad that you can be with us so we can worship God together so we can study another portion of His Word. And I appreciate the prayers on my behalf. And it's my prayer that the things we study this morning will be in strict accordance to God's Word, that it will be His truth that we talk about today, and also that it will be useful to you and beneficial as we all continue our Christian walk together. As you can see from the title on the screen, I want to talk about this morning, To Whom Shall We Go? We get this from the book of John, chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn over there, John 6, I'll have the, the verses on the screen behind me. To kind of set the stage a little bit, what's going on at this time, um, in John chapter 6, before, before that, we see Jesus going about, and He was doing His ministry, He was going, He was teaching the Word of God, He was performing miracles, He was helping people, He was giving them what they wanted physically. Uh, we see, for instance, uh, where Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and then a couple other things in John chapter 5, and earlier in John chapter 6, that's where we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Of course, you remember that story. So there's a lot of people that started following Jesus at this time when they were getting what they wanted. They would follow Him and they, He would perform miracles. They wanted to see that. He would give them the, the physical things that they wanted. So people liked that, and, and they would follow Jesus. Then a little bit of time goes on when these great multitudes were following Jesus. that He started teaching them some things that they didn't quite like so much. He started teaching them a little bit harder things. And, and many people, when they heard these harder things, they choose to follow, fall away. They didn't want to follow Jesus anymore. They weren't getting everything that they wanted, so they choose to just go a different direction instead of following Christ when, when He started teaching these hard things. So that's where we're going to pick up. Let's look at John chapter 6. We're going to begin in the verse 66. It says, From that time many of His disciples went back, and they walked no more with Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter presents this question that we're going to study about this morning. Lord, to whom shall we go? You think about all these multitudes that they choose not to follow Jesus. They're going to follow something else. Us as humans, as, as creatures... And, and creatures from God, we are designed to follow something. We are all going to follow something. And we can either choose to follow after Jesus, after Christ, or we're going to follow after something else. And that's what many of these people, they chose not to follow after something. And Peter gives us the right question. If we're not going to follow Christ, then who are we going to follow? To whom shall we go? So that's what we're going to study about for a little while this morning. Jesus said, uh, in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus saith to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We know that Jesus said this in a very singular way. He is the way. He is the truth, and He's the life. He's the only way that we can get to God, Father, uh, and get to heaven. It's the only way that we can have salvation. He's the only way. There is no other way. So if we're not going to follow Christ in order to get to heaven, then to whom shall we go? Who can save us? Who can we follow if we're not going to follow Christ? You know, there's many people today that they'll say, we're all going to heaven, taking different paths to get there. 
there's different ways that you can get to heaven. There's different beliefs. There's different denominations. There's different teachings. There's different saviors. There's many people that believe this. Some people will call the eternal paradise. They'll use a different term instead of heaven. They'll call it something else. Uh, but many people believe that there's all these different ways to get there. Jesus said very clearly he is the way. He's the truth and the life. He said he's the only way. So the first thing I want to look at is, is Christ really the only way? And if so, why? Why is Jesus Christ the only way to heaven? Now, there's four points that we're going to look at to prove that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The first thing we're going to look at is Jesus is the only true Son of God. We see that from Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. What's going on here, this is what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is going and He's walking with His apostles. And then He comes, and, and that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 17. It says, And while He yet spake, talking about Jesus... It says, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. This is, of course, God talking about Jesus, His Son, and He's telling the apostles to listen to Christ. What's, what was going on at this transfiguration? The apostles saw Jesus, and they saw Jesus with two other figures, and those two figures was Moses and Elias or Elijah. When you see these two different people, that represents the old law and it represents the prophets, which they followed at that time. The apostles were supposed to follow the old law and the prophets before Jesus' death and resurrection. And what God is telling them here is this man, Jesus, with the prophets and with uh, Moses representing the old law, I want you to listen to Jesus moving forward because he is his son. God didn't say this about anybody else. God only said, this is my true son. This is my beloved son. Jesus is the only true Son of God. So that's one of the reasons why He is the way in order for us to get to God is we must go through His Son as the way, the truth, and the life. The second thing that we see is Jesus is the only man in the history of the world who was able to fulfill all the prophecies that we have. When you look over in the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament talking about the Messiah and talking about the Christ that's to come. And Jesus is the only one who fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. There's a book that I came across that's called Science Speaks, and it's written by a man named Peter Stoner. And what, what this man went out to do is he went out to seek, does science back up what the Bible says, or does it contradict what the Bible says, specifically about Christ and some other things? So he, he went to answer this question and said, what are the odds that one man could fulfill just eight of the major prophecies that we have in the Bible. So what are the odds of that? When you think of these major prophecies, it could have been that he was born in Bethlehem and that he was born during the time uh, of the Roman Empire and different things like that. So what are the odds that one man could fulfill just eight of these major prophecies? Now, this is a lot of uh, numbers here that we look at. And when we see from this book, this is the number he came up with. It's one and one hundred uh, quadrillion. So when we see that, that's not a number that we talk about very often. 100 quadrillion. Just so you know, that's one and 17 zeros after it. It's not a million, not a billion, not a trillion, but a quadrillion. And it's 100 quadrillion. That's a pretty big number. And that's just to fulfill eight of the prophecies, not the over 300 that he did fulfill. So science would tell you that in order to do this, it's virtually impossible that one man could fulfill all of these 300 prophecies. But we know from record, historical records that we have, Jesus did fulfill that. 
Let's put that in perspective just a little bit. What is 100 quadrillion? Well, we know there's roughly 7 billion people on the earth today. Roughly, 7 billion. That's a lot of people. 7 billion people. But in order to get to 7 billion to 100 quadrillion, you would have to have 14,285,714 fully populated earths to get to 100 quadrillion people. So over 14 million earths, and then you pick just one person out of that, and that one person is Jesus. So when Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, I believe him, because he did it. He fulfilled all of these prophecies. Nobody else in the history of the world could ever do that, but Christ did. Here's another way we can look at it, and this is what it says in the book Science Speaks. It says, take silver dollars, which you can see a picture of a silver dollar there, so you know roughly how big it is. Take silver dollars, you pile that two feet high, and then across the entire state of Texas. A lot of y'all have been to Texas. That's a big state. There is a lot of land in Texas. But you take a silver dollar two feet high across the entire state of Texas, and then send somebody, let's say they start out in Dallas. Send a person and say, walk across the entire state, randomly pick up one of these silver dollars. That one silver dollar that they randomly pick up across the state, that just so happens to be Jesus. That is what one in 100 quadrillion looks like. It's virtually impossible, right? That's what science would tell us. There's no possible way we can do it, but the Bible, the true Word of God, tells us that He did do it. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because He fulfilled over 300 of the prophecies that we have from the Old Testament. We have records that He did that. The third reason why Jesus says He's the way, the truth, and the life is He is the only one that can offer pure blood. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to read this entire chapter. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then verily the first covenant, talking about the Old Testament, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, and the first, wherein was a candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after that second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the sacrifice that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So let's pause right there for a second. What it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 9 is it's reminding us what they did in the Old Testament, what the Levitical priesthood did when they went and they offered sacrifices to God once a year. They offered blood sacrifices where the high priest went once a year into the holiest of all places to offer blood on the mercy seat, which was on top of the Ark of the Covenant, where the cherubims meet. So that's what it's talking about. This is what they did. What it says there in verse 8, it says, The Holy Ghost, this signifying 
that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while at the first tabernacle was yet standing. What he's saying in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 8, is this was all a symbol of the perfect thing to come. This was not perfect. This is what God's law wanted them to do was to go offer these blood sacrifices for uh, the sins and the errors of the people. But this was not the perfect thing to do. This was a foreshadowing of what was to come. What's coming later would then be made perfect, but it was not made manifest yet. Now, let's continue in verse 9, or in verse 10. It says, "...which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and cord ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building." Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into, her, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now let's pause again. So now it says this is the perfect thing that did come, which was Christ. That He was able to offer His pure blood, His perfect blood without spot to God's. Let's think about that just for a second. Now God came as Christ. Christ came down and fashioned Himself as a man. And He was tempted in everything just like you and I were tempted. All the sins that you and I face today, that we're weak and we succumb to those sins... He faced the exact same sins, the exact same temptations, and yet he didn't, he didn't go to a single one of those. Not a single sin was on Christ's record. Remember the time that when Christ was up at the mountain and the devil came to tempt him and turned the, the stones into bread and said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this land. You remember when, when the devil did that to Christ? What would happen if he just was willing to, sac to uh, submit to just one of those sins, one of those temptations, then he wouldn't have pure blood, would he? His blood would be no different than your blood or my blood. It would be tainted. It's ruined. But Christ didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't succumb to just one of those sins. So he was able to offer this pure blood. And that's what it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 9. What they did in the Old Testament, they offered the blood of the bulls and the goats and it was not perfect, but it was a symbol of the perfect blood that was to come, which was Christ. And Christ was able to offer that perfect blood. Christ is the only one in the history of the world that's able to offer that perfect blood. Not a single one of us here in this room can say we don't have a sin in our life. Not a single one. Nobody can say they haven't told a little white lie. Nobody can say they haven't stolen something or cheated something or done something that they shouldn't, shouldn't have. Nobody can say they haven't lusted after the flesh. Nobody can say they haven't had pride in their life, but Christ can say He didn't do any of that. He was faced with temptations just like you and I were, but He kept His blood perfect and pure so that we could have that pure blood as a sacrifice for us. Now let's continue on in verse 15. What does that pure blood do for us? In verse 15 it says, And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament... They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, 
For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled the blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of these things, of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Talking about Christ. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but in heaven itself now appear into the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So what it's talking about there is this blood was necessary. This pure and perfect blood was necessary to appease God's wrath for the entire sins of the world forever. What they did in the Old Testament is they went year after year after year to offer the blood of the bulls and the goats and the calves so that it would appease God for a time, but it wasn't, wouldn't appease Him forever. This was all a foreshadowing. It was a symbol of the things to come that were true, which was Christ and His pure blood. Now if you go on to Hebrews chapter 10 and read verse 11, it says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's what they did in the Old Testament. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now in verse 14 it says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This is what Christ's pure blood does for us. It sanctifies us forever. It cleanses us of our sins forever. Nothing in the Old Testament could ever cleanse us of our sins. But Christ's pure and perfect, perfect blood did. So those are the three things, and we've got one more we're going to look at, of why Christ says He is the way, the truth, and the life. Because He's the only one that can offer this pure blood for us, for our sacrifice. Nobody else could ever do that. The fourth thing we'll look at is why He says He's the way, the truth, and the life, is He was resurrected from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Jesus died for our sins, and just as we read about in Hebrews, he had to die so that he could be the mediator of that New Testament. That New Testament had to come forth after his death. That's what the death is, is valuable for us, so that we could have this New Testament, this new law that we live under today. We also have to have Jesus resurrected from that death. We have to have him as the author and finisher of our faith, that as he was resurrected from the dead, we also can be resurrected from the dead. And we can be brought to life again. And Jesus proved that that's possible. And he's the only one that was able to do that. 
So these are four things that when Jesus says He's the way, the truth, and the life, there's only way that we can have salvation through Him. And if we're not going to follow Jesus, we're not going to follow these four things that we looked at, then who will you follow? Who is going to do these things for you? Who is resurrected from the dead for you? Who can offer pure blood from you? Who can fulfill all these prophecies for you? There's nobody else that can do it but Christ. So that's why he says he's the way. And that's why he says he's the truth and he's the life. There's no other place that we can get it except from Christ. Unfortunately, though, there are many other things and people that other people will choose to follow instead of following Christ. And that's what we're going to look at next. If we're not going to follow Christ, then who are we going to follow? And the first one is other teachers. Christ was a teacher when He came. He came and taught us many different things. He, he came and taught us what the old law was for. He came and expounded upon us the Word more perfectly with His new law. And that was followed with the Holy Spirit of teaching us even more through the apostles and their letters. And Christ is a great, the greatest teacher that we have in the history of the world. And if we're not going to follow Christ as a teacher, there's many other teachers that people tend to follow. This is nothing new. They had it in the, Old, in the New Testament as well. If we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? They faced the same thing back then that we face today. What Paul is saying is that he hears people are saying that they're following other teachers and other men instead of following Christ, including himself, including Paul. He said that in verse 12, where some of you saying, I am of Paul, I follow Paul, I follow his teaching. Some, you, some will say, I follow Paulos and I follow his teaching. Some say, I follow Cephas. It's the same thing that we have today. Look in, out into the world and see all the different people that other people will choose to follow as their teacher instead of following Christ. Here's a few that you can look at. How about John Calvin? How many people follow John Calvin and some of his teachings today instead of following after Jesus Christ? A lot. There is a lot of people who follow John Calvin. How about Joseph Smith, the Mormon church? How many people follow that? How about Joel Olstein? How many people go to his mega church and watch him on TV every week? A lot of people. They choose to follow after these other teachers. Of course, you've got the Pope down there in the bottom left-hand corner. How many people follow the Catholic Church and choose to follow the Pope and his teaching instead of following the words of Christ and following after him? Here's one that we don't really think about too often, bottom right. That's Oprah Winfrey. How many people choose to follow after Oprah? There's a lot of people that follow after Oprah for their spiritual beliefs, a lot more than what you'd realize, and we'll pick that up here in just a second. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. There are going to be many different teachers. There's going to be different styles, different teachings, different skills. And there's a reason for that. If you continue in verse 12, the reason that you have many different evangelists, teachers, and preachers is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speak, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Paul is telling us that there's always going to be these other teachers. Now, what we want is to have multiple teachers so that we can all come into the unity of faith. If all the teachers out into the world, including us here today, anybody who teaches here and we lead other people, if we would all just humble ourselves to truly go to God's Word and just speak what God's Word says instead of trying to put our own preconceived ideas on there or what we want God's Word to say, then we all will come into the unity of faith. We all will be there. The Word is the Word. It doesn't change. It doesn't change no matter who's teaching it. So if we could have all these teachers come and just submit themselves tr truly to the Word of God, then truly we all could come into the unity of faith. And we all could grow up into Christ instead of being carried about with every wind of doctrine, instead of being uh, and led astray by the cunning craftiness, instead of being led with whatever these other teachers want us to do instead of following after Christ. So we should have multiple teachers, and the multiple teachers that we should have should all be teaching the same thing and pointing towards the Word of God. Now, I mentioned that there's many other people who choose to follow other teachers, and one of those other teachers is Oprah Winfrey. Uh, she has a show that I don't know if any of you know about, but she has many different TV shows, and one of the TV shows that she has is a show called Believe. That show, the premise of it is for her to travel the world and to look at all these different doctrines, different religions, different denominations, different teachings. And the purpose of her show is to prove that every single one of those are equally valid as true. Which means if every single one of these different beliefs, different teachings, different styles, if every one of them is equally valid as truth, then none of them are true. None of them are, are really true. There's none of them that really stand apart if all of them are the same. There was a survey done a while back that there's over 10 million people who watch Oprah's talk show each and every day. 10 million. 10 million people watch her show. And there was a study uh, done a while back of millennials and the survey of 6,600 millennials of watching their show and that 33% of those uh, millennials that were surveyed said that Oprah had more influence over their spiritual beliefs than their parents, their pastors, or their teachers. 33% of millennials say that Oprah has the highest level of influence over their spiritual belief than anything else. Now, they don't know Oprah personally, but they follow her, and they follow these teachings. Here's something that Oprah said. Here's a quote that she teaches and that she believes. It says, Look within you and find yourself from within. Find that God consciousness. That is God. What she's saying is that God is in all of us. And whatever you think to be true, whatever you think to be right, when you find yourself from within, you find that God consciousness, whatever that feeling is, that's God. Now, that may sound okay on the surface level, but I want you to think about that for a second. If God is in all of us, and we're just supposed to listen to that God consciousness, we're supposed to find that within... Doesn't that really degrade God? And that, that, doesn't that really mean that there's really nothing that we have to do for salvation if God is already in us? We already have that God conscious in us, so there's nothing we got to do. We don't have to study His Word. We don't have to look and see what God taught us to do in His written Word. He's already in us. All we have to do is find that God consciousness. We don't have to be baptized into Christ. 
We don't have to put on Christ because Christ is already in us. It's already that God consciousness in us. Can you see how that just one couple sentences can totally lead people astray? And 33% of those people surveyed will follow that instead of following after Christ. So we have to be very careful in following after these other teachers. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth, as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, whom concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and they overthrow the faith of some. So Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he's telling them, here's some false teachers that they had back in that time of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They've, they've erred in the truth, and they're teaching people the wrong thing, saying that the resurrection is past already. They're not going to be another resurrection. Christ isn't coming back to resurrect. It's already past. They've erred in that truth, and they've thrown people aside. They've led people astray. What Paul is writing to teacher, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy is telling us two main things. Number one, study God's Word to really learn it. Now, what's the point of studying God's Word if we already have a God consciousness in us that's going to tell us what to do? Well, that's not true. That's the second thing Paul says to do is shun profane and vain babblings. If it's not in God's written Word and it doesn't match up with it, cast it away. Get rid of it because that is not the true Word of God. But there's many, many different times that people will choose to follow other teachers instead of following after Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that we can get to heaven. Another thing we should do is written in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, where Paul says, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you that that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul was so adamant about this fact that there are going to be false teachers out there. And if anybody teaches any other gospel, any other uh, doctrine or any other words other than what they have already been given, led by the Holy Spirit, that they should be accursed. Paul was so adamant about that, he, he said it twice. That means we should really pay attention to it. That it's in there twice, back to back. We have to make sure that when we see these profane and vain babblings, we cast it away, we get rid of it. And that person's going to be accursed. It's, they're accursed for their own doings. It's not us cursing them. It's themselves cursing them. So we have to make sure that we test what we see against the Word of God and even all the different teachers that we choose to listen to. Test their teachings against the Word of God. Shun those profane and vain babblings and make sure you stick to what Christ said. Now, there's some other things that people will choose to follow instead of other teachers, and that's friends and family. Sometimes people will choose to follow after friends and family and to follow after other teachers. And that's a little bit tougher because friends and family are typically close relationships that we have. When you think about the family that you were raised up into, you think about many of us in this room, we were not raised into the true church of Christ, into the true church that, that Christ had built. We weren't raised that way. We were raised a different way. And many of it was led by our family. And unfortunately, some people still choose to follow after their family and follow after these doctrines and teachings that are not after Christ instead of following after Christ. If you look over in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, it says, If thy brother, thy son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, 
which is thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the end of one earth, even, even unto the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt, shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. Of course, this is back in the Old Testament when the law was given to him, and they're saying that if anybody entices you to not follow after this law, to not follow after God, don't go with them. They're going to entice you to go secretly. Now look at who he says would, would possibly entice you. Your brother, the son of the mother, thy son, your daughter, your wife, your friend, the friend which is as your own soul. So a lot of us have a friend like that that we're really tight-knit with. Think about all these people in your life, and God is warning them to watch out. Because these close relationships, sometimes they can lead you astray without you knowing, without you paying attention. We have to be careful of these things, that we're not being led astray. You know, we study the gospel with people many different times. We study the Word of God, and we, we teach them the words of Christ, and we teach them what they need to do for their salvation. And there was one time that I had, for instance, that I was studying with some close family members of mine, we were going after the Word of God. We were talking about what Christ did for us, the life He lived for us, giving His life on the cross for our sins, and what ultimately we should do about it, which is to, to be baptized into Christ, to wash away our sins. And we were studying all this, and we got to the point where my family member that was very close to me, she looked at me and she said, I can see what, the, what it says, and I, I see what you're saying, but if I agree with it, then that means my grandparents who have already died, then that means they're in hell. So she chose not to agree with it. So when you think about her perception at that point, she was choosing to follow family, and at this instance, deceased family members, instead of choosing to follow the words of Christ, which she clearly could see. And she admitted that she could see, and she could see what that says, and what she knew what she needed to do about it. So it's unfortunate, but there are going to be people who choose to follow after other family members, sometimes living, sometimes deceased, um, or follow after other friends instead of following after the words of Christ. And we have to be careful as Christians today that we don't do that, that we don't choose to follow after other people. Another way that we could look at that, instead of following after deceased family members, is what about the influence you have on the people still living? What about all the people in your life and in your family that's also following the way that you're following in error instead of following the people who have already deceased? Think about the influence you could have. We have an example of that in Acts chapter 16 where we see the Philippian jailer. If you look in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 2, it says, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, talking about Paul with the Philippian jailer. In verse 33, it says, And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the Philippian jailer at this point. Did he know God before this? I don't think so. What kind of lifestyle was he brought up into? What kind of religion was he taught growing up? What kind of beliefs did the Philippian jailer have? What kind of family did he have that constantly believed in error going after these other beliefs and other doctrines? I don't know what he believed, but I know he didn't follow God up until this point. But he could have chosen to follow what he had always been taught. 
He could have chosen to stick with his family that taught him from when he was a child, all growing up, to follow whatever beliefs and whatever doctrines he had. But he didn't do that. He chose to listen to the words of Paul, who taught him about Christ, and to be baptized into Christ, and he chose to follow after that. And not only that, but all of his house did as well. He had influence on the rest of his house. He took Paul and Silas, and he took them back home and introduced them to the rest of his family, and all of his family followed after Christ. That's a decision that we can make. We can either choose to follow after family and friends, continually be led astray, and do the things not according to God's Word, or we can choose to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves, to truly listen to God's Word and Christ and follow after Him and have the opportunity to influence all the others around us as well so that they can follow Christ as well. So the third thing that we're going to look at is who, choo who some choose to follow is your own self-interest. This is a little bit tougher too. It's getting a little bit more personal. Think about all the different times we choose to do what we want to do instead of following after Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When you look up that word, deny himself and the thayers, it means to forget oneself, to lose, one, lose sight of oneself and one's own interest. Deny your own self-interest to follow after Christ. There's a lot of self-interest that we have. There's a lot of things that get us distracted, that keep our attention, that want us to focus on worldly things. And when I say worldly things, that doesn't necessarily mean bad. You think about your job, you think about family, you think about entertainment, you think about school, you think about all these different things that tend to catch our attention. And what Jesus is telling us is to deny yourself, deny your own self-interest and take up your cross and follow Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple of His. To be a disciple is to put all those things aside and to follow after Christ. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way which seemeth right unto the man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's many different things that we can look at and say, like, well, of course this has to be right. It makes me happy, so it must be right. God wants me to be happy, doesn't He? I haven't found that in the Scriptures yet, where it says God wants us to be happy here on earth. I do think God wants us to be happy spiritually and for eternity, but not necessarily here. And there's a way which seems right to us. There's a way that we look at of, oh, well, I must do these things. That, that seems like that's the, that's the right thing to do. But those are the ways of death that we have to be careful of. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12, it says, There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes. And yet they're not washed from their own filthiness. But now Solomon's saying in the book of Proverbs, there's whole generations that say there's pure. Remember what um, Oprah taught all the people? Is that look within your side, inside yourself and find that God consciousness? There's whole generations, 33% of the people believe that. And they say, well, God's already in me. I don't have to do anything. I'm pure. If God's in me, then I'm already pure, right? But they haven't been washed from their filthiness. So we have to be careful that we're not taking our own self-interest and what we think to be right and letting that lead us astray. In Proverbs 28, verse 26, it says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Have you ever considered yourself a fool? Have you ever looked at your own life and you think about the steps that you're taking, the things that you're pursuing, what you want to do with your life, if you're following after your own heart, you ever thought that that's foolish? 
Well, the book of Proverbs says it is, if it doesn't match up with God's Word. If we're not walking wisely, and walking wisely means submitting to God's Word and what He wants for our life. So we have to be careful that we're not leading ourselves astray and following our own heart. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I want you to think about that. Let that soak in for just a second. Have you ever considered your own heart, your own self-interest, the things that you want to accomplish for your life? Have you ever considered that desperately wicked? Well, Jeremiah says it is. Jeremiah says the thing that you want to do for your life, if it's not following after Christ, if it's not denying yourself, those things are desperately wicked. Your heart's deceitful. We have to recognize that as truth because it's in God's Word. And that truth will help us if we'll apply it to our life, to recognize that our heart can be deceitful and that our hearts can lead us astray. The things that we want to do, our self-interest, the things that we want to pursue in our life, it can lead us astray if we allow it. And unfortunately, a lot of times people will choose to follow after that. They'll take jobs and lead them all over the world instead of following after Christ. They'll look at entertainment. They'll look at their schooling. They'll look at all these different things in their life instead of following after Christ. And those things can lead them astray. And oftentimes they do. So the three things just that we talked about in this lesson, there's many other things that people will choose to follow instead of following after Christ. The three things are other teachers, family or friends, or their own self-interest. And think just for a second. Have any, any of these three, have they led you astray recently? Have you looked at your own life and seen that, you know, maybe I'm not really following after Christ because something has distracted me or someone has distracted me. I've chosen to follow after this instead of following after Christ. Think deep and hard about that for a minute. And the next thing we're going to look at is how can we really make sure that we're following Christ? You know, a lot of these other teachers that people tend to follow, they'll use the name Jesus Christ, and they'll talk and they'll use some of His, his words from scriptures that we have, and they might twist them a little bit. So sometimes it can be quite difficult to make sure that we're really following after Christ, or we're not following after false teachings, or we're not following after own, own self-interest. So how can we really make sure that we are following Christ? Well, number one, we have to know the Lord, and the Lord has to know us. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out many devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus is telling them here that just because you're doing these things in the name of Christ or just because you think what you're doing is right, that doesn't mean that Christ knows you. And that doesn't mean that you know Him. So we have to make sure that that relationship is there. And the Scriptures tell us how to make sure that relationship is there. It's not just a feeling we get. It's not just saying that, oh, we know God and not God knows us because these people in Matthew chapter 7, they probably would have said the same thing. Look at all these things we've done for you. We've prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils. We've done all these works. Of course we know God. And of course God knows us because we've done these. And Jesus responds, I don't know you. The scriptures tell us how we can make sure that we know God. If we look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Here it emphasizes again how important it is for us to know God and for God to know us. And it tells us there in verse 8 how that happens. It says, In flaming fire taking vengeance upon them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God knows us when we obey His gospel. And we know God when we obey His gospel. When we obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is what solidifies that relationship. And that's what truly God knows us as His children. And that we can know Him as our God and our Lord. So we have to obey the gospel. So what is the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1-4, through 4, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, and you're also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you've preached in vain. Here's the gospel. For I delivered first unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel that we have, that we are supposed to obey, is right there in verse 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins... He was buried, and He was resurrected the third day. We know that the word gospel means the good news, and that is the good news. Just as we read about in Hebrews is that it was necessary for Christ to die for us. It was necessary for Him to offer that pure blood for our sins. It was necessary for Him to do that. And not only that, but He was buried, so we all know that He truly was dead. He was buried for three days. And the fact that He was resurrected. When He was resurrected, the new life that we can be resurrected as well. That is the good news that we have. And that is the gospel that we should obey. In Romans chapter 6, it tells us how we obey that new gospel. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, it says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So when we obey the gospel, how we obey the gospel is by being baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death, we're buried with Him in the watery graves of baptism, and we're raised up with Him, just as He was resurrected for us. So, all that to say is, in order for us to know God, and for God to know us, we must obey the gospel. And we obey the gospel through baptism, to signify to God that we do believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life to heaven. We do believe that Jesus Christ came, and He lived that perfect life for us, and He was offer, able to offer the perfect blood for our sins. We believe that. And we're showing that belief that we're going to be baptized into His death. Just as He died for us, we're going to die with Him in baptism. And just as He was raised up a new creature and He was able to defeat death, we also raise up a new creature. And we know that we can defeat death when Christ comes and gives us the ultimate resurrection when He returns here on earth. That's how God knows us as His children. So if you haven't been baptized this morning, then God doesn't know you. No matter what you think and no matter how good of a person you think you are, that relationship's just not there because you haven't been baptized into Christ. You haven't obeyed the gospel, but you can. You can obey the gospel. You can be baptized into Him if you truly believe and you haven't believed in vain and you want to follow after Him. 
So that is the first way of how we make sure that we're following after Christ. We're baptized into Christ. But that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning of the journey. Also, after we've been baptized into Christ, we must continually search His Scriptures and study and apply His words to our life as often as we possibly can. In Acts chapter 17, verse 10, talking about the Bereans, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women which, are, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. So here we see the Bereans. These Bereans were characterized there in verse 11 as more noble than the, the church in Thessalonica. I think all of us here in this room, we want to be characterized from a Christian characteristics as being noble. We want to be a noble people in our life. And how these people were noble, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, is they did a few things. Number one, they received the word with all readiness of mind. How often are you really receiving God's word with readiness of mind? Not just here on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week as well. How often are you really receiving it? You're getting into the scriptures and you're reading what God says and what the scriptures can teach you with all readiness of mind, with an open mind, open heart. You're really just reading to see what it says. And also, they searched the Scriptures daily when what they were receiving from Paul and Silas when they came to, to hear in Berea, these, uh, these Bereans were listening to what they said. They took everything in, but they didn't just take it in and automatically believed it to be true. They took it in, and then they tested it against the Scriptures that they knew to be true. They tested it against God's Word. When they found what Paul and Silas were teaching were true, then they applied it to their lives. By doing these few steps... That's how they were characterized as more noble than those in Thessalonica. Apparently, the ones in Thessalonica didn't have that thought. They didn't have those actions. Maybe they didn't receive the word with all readiness of mind. Maybe they were closed-minded. Whatever somebody said, they just shut it down because they already believe what they believe. They weren't willing to open their minds and open their hearts to what somebody else might teach them that could be a little bit different. Or maybe they did. Maybe they listened to everything that was taught, but they refused to test it against the Scriptures. Maybe they just believed everything that they heard. As soon as somebody said something, oh, that sounds good, I'm going to believe it. Instead of testing it against the Scriptures, I don't know what it was, but the Thessalonians didn't do what the Bereans did. They didn't believe, or they didn't hear with their open minds and open hearts what Paul and Silas were teaching and test it against the Scriptures. We must be able to do those two things. So receive the Word and grow in God's Word and find what, what God is teaching us and what Christ is teaching us Continually test what you hear from this podium or from anywhere else in the world. Test it against the Scriptures. If you find it to be true, then apply it to your lives. So remember the first step, be baptized into Christ. After that, this which never ends, receive the Word with all readiness of mind. Test it against the Scriptures. And if you find it to be true, then apply it to your lives. In John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Are you one of these sheep that Jesus is talking about this morning? Are you one that hears His voice, that truly listens to what God says through His written Word? Are you one that God knows you, 
and that Christ knows you because you follow Him? Are you one of these sheep that He will give you eternal life because you've been baptized into Christ and you've let His pure blood wash away your sins? Are you one that's never going to perish because you're one of these sheep? And we know that, that Christ is telling us there at the end that no man can pluck you out of His hand. If you're in this, this fold of God, if you're one of these sheep, nobody can take you away from it. You can choose to walk away, but nobody can pull you away. It's all your choice. If you're not one of these sheep this morning that hears Christ's voice, that knows Him, that's been baptized unto Him, and that has this security of eternal life, and I want you to seriously evaluate and think about what are your priorities in life? What are you really following after? If you're not going to follow after Christ, then where are you going to go? I want you to really think about your life. If you are one of these sheep, then are you really doing what the characteristic of a sheep is? Is really listening to Christ's words, making sure that you're following after Him, that you're testing everything that you hear against Christ's words and that you're doing what Christ wants you to do? If you're not following after Christ today, then who are you following? Are you following other teachers? Are you following family and friends? Are you following your own self-interest? You're going to follow somebody. As people, we will always follow somebody. And to recap the lesson, if we look in John chapter 6, verse 66, again, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Are you one of these that you've followed Christ for a while, but you've chosen not to walk with him anymore because he's talked about a little bit of hard things? Jesus said unto the twelve, are you also going to go away? Are you in that category this morning? Jesus is asking you this morning, when you hear the hard things of Christ, are you going to choose to stay committed and follow after him? Or are you also going to turn away? Simon Peter asked the great question that we always have to ask. If we're not going to follow Christ, then to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Are you sure this morning that Jesus is that Christ? From everything we've looked at, that He was able to offer that pure blood for you, that He was able to fulfill all those prophets for you, that God called Him His true Son and for us to listen to Him. Are you sure from those few examples that we've looked at that He is Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, He is the Son of the living God? And if you're sure, then will you follow after Him? Will you follow after Him this morning, be baptized into Him, and will you make sure to follow after Him all the days of your life? This is the question we must ask ourselves each and every day. Who are we going to follow? It's our choice who we follow. If you haven't been baptized into Christ and you haven't chosen to follow after Him, then I would encourage you to do that this morning. Don't wait any longer. Choose to follow after Christ. Establish and solidify that relationship with Him so He knows you as His sheep and He knows you as His child. And be baptized into Him and let that pure blood wash away your sins. If you already have been baptized then let's continually question and look at our priorities that we have in life. Are we really following after Christ or are we choosing other things that's leading us astray and, and that we're following after somebody or something else? So continually ask ourselves this question, to whom shall we go? Will you follow Christ this morning? If you'd like to be baptized into Christ and you'd like to solidify that relationship or you need the prayers of the church and need help getting back on track if you've been distracted, let us know. We're here to help you. All you have to do is come and have a seat on this front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, 
send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.